is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Let's get it on, everybody. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 141, for Monday, January the 6th, 2014. Happy New Year, Mr. Miles. Well, Happy New Year to you, Mr. Fairhurst. Thank you. Thank you. It's a whole new year. Our last podcast was in 2013. And uh, those astute listeners, longtime listeners, may notice something different about my voice this week. Slightly different. You don't actually sound all that much different, to be honest. In my own ears, I sure do. Well, your ears are clogged. They could be. They could be. Okay, then maybe not. But uh, last time we recorded, it was your turn to be sick. Yep. This time, it is my turn. I am just getting over the chest cold, but uh, my voice is still all wacky, as far it, as I can tell. It's a little raspy and a little low, but it's not, uh, it's not terribly different. It's not like you sound like Burt Reynolds or anything. Oh, really? Yeah. I was going for Burt Reynolds. You're, yeah, and who wouldn't, really? <laughs> who wouldn't, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, if that's the case, hopefully no one's the wiser, except now I just told everyone. Yeah. So we've got an exciting show coming up this week. We do. We do. We are going to be getting caught up on a little bit of Walking Dead news, a little bit of listener feedback, and the main thing this week is an interview we are doing with Melissa Hutchison, who provides the voice for Clementine in the Walking Dead video game. From Telltale Games. From Telltale Games, that's right. So that's going to be a little bit later. All that is coming up a little bit later. First thing I have to do, Jason. What's Tomorrow, that? January the 7th. Yes. International Programmers Day. International Programmers Day. Repeat it one more time. International Programmers Day. That's right. You and I both more or less are programmers by trade and our day job. Yep. And uh, tomorrow is a day to celebrate us. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually programmed... <laughs> In a different country. I'm just thinking of the word international programmers. Sure. So I'm, I'm, an, I'm a national programmer. I've, I've programmed across the country, but I've never, I don't think I've ever actually programmed anything in the United States or in any of the other countries that I've been in. Well, according to the internet, for decades, programmers have made major contributions to our lives. Uh, programmers are ultimately responsible for many of the conveniences we enjoy, such as DVR, direct deposit, web surfing, online bill paying, cell phones, etc. And uh, text-based video games. That's right. Going back, <laughs> to, back in the day. Now, the funny thing about International Programmers Day that is that it is celebrated on January the 7th every year, right. but it is also celebrated on September the 13th. Now, can you think of a reason why that would be an important day? Uh, it is the Programmer's Day half-birthday? No. Uh, it is the 256th day of the year. Oh, I see. That makes perfect sense. See, it does. So I'm not sure why they do it on two days, but uh, tomorrow, January 7th, is the first Programmer's Day well, of the year. Seven is not a very round binary number. No, it's just a seven, really. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's that's very exciting. It's divisible only by itself and one. That's right. It is a prime number. That's right. So programming in different countries, and uh, programmers are responsible for all of these things, uh, and uh, programmers are also responsible for the uh, the Y2K uh, fear. What, what, uh, what problem? It? It's not really a pro it wasn't really a problem, yeah. It was more of a... See, I don't know that programmers are responsible for that Fear. Somebody made a decision to use a two-digit year instead of a four-digit year. Right. 
and, and I definitely be... wasn't a business requirement. That was a programmer that made that decision. <laughs> okay, that's true, but it turned out to be a non-issue. It did. The the fear was caused by the media, not the programmer. No, but the programmers are responsible for the the oversight. I guess so. I I would venture that. Okay, well that's, I guess so. But maybe they skipped Programmer International Day that uh, that year. And if if I've learned anything from TV and movies, programming becomes a lot faster when you put a gun to the programmer's head. Absolutely. Yeah. They should do that at our job day to day. We'd get things done in twice speed. Just like I know <laughs> that gambling and counting cards becomes easier when you dump buckets of ice on people and uh, show boobies in their face or shove boobies <laughs> in their face. <laughs> that doesn't happen to you on a daily basis? I don't, uh, I don't gamble. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, today, today is, uh, what is it, Monday? It's the 6th of January. It's also Norman Reedus's birthday. Hey, happy birthday, birthday Norm. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that's what he would say if if he were here right now. Right. Uh, who knows what he's doing to celebrate? So you can send him a tweet saying "Happy Birthday," or you know, search International Programmers Day tomorrow and celebrate the programmer in your life, mm-hmm. whether it's you or somebody else. I am the programmer in my life. That's right. So are you, Chris? Really? Yeah, I guess so. I'm not the programmer of my life. I'm the programmer in my life. <laughs> Anyways, well, fine distinction. Let's go on and do a little bit of listener feedback. How about? Cool. Listener feedback. All right. This first email comes from Mike in Cincinnati. And it's a bit of a long one, but it's, he touches on something we discussed last time on the podcast. And let's see if I can get through this whole email without, you know, degenerating into a coughing fit. How about coughing, that? spitting, you know, expelling some kind of bodily fluid. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I hope so. Mike says, you guys spent a lot of time talking about Darabont's lawsuit. You have to remember that when creators, producers, and even directors sign on to a show, they are employed by the studio. They do not often know where the show will land for broadcast. The sweetheart deal that AMC gave themselves isn't that complicated, but I think you missed a piece. When AMC AMC Studio sells the broadcast rights to AMC The Channel, they do so at an incredibly high cost. No money actually changes hands, but on paper, the exchange is larger than it would be if they sold the rights to any other channel. Then, when the show does well and would seem to be profitable, it isn't, because it has yet to earn back its production costs, marketing costs, and broadcast costs. Since the show isn't profitable, anyone whose contract entitled them to a percentage of the profit are left out to dry. So, if Darabont was entitled to a percent of the profits, he would not receive any, as AMC won't make a profit on paper anyway. This is frustrating, especially when he may have started production before a broadcaster was in place. In any case, this show and the Talking Dead After Show would not exist in their current forms had Darabont not developed and produced the show to begin with. Now, Mike also gave us... um, the example of David Prouse, who is the actor, the body actor for Darth Vader. Right. And he said, uh, he has been famously screwed over this way. Prouse claims his contract for Return of the Jedi included a share of profits on the film. And although it grossed $475 million on a $32 million budget, Prouse explained in an interview in 2009 that he has never received residuals for his performance. Due to Hollywood accounting, the actual profits are sent as distribution fees to the studio, leaving nothing to distribute to others. And that all came from David Prouse's Wikipedia page, apparently. Son of a bitch. So, first of all, Mike 
does a nice job here explaining the concept of vertical integration that we talked about last time, where right. basically the studio sells a show to itself at a ridiculously high rate. And I think, though, that his main point is that Darabont wouldn't have known that AMC was going to sell the show to themselves when he signed his contract and possibly when he began production. So my question for you, Jason, okay. is does this change your feeling at all uh, that he more or less should have known what he was getting into from the beginning and it's kind of his own fault? Well, vertical integration is a, uh, a nice buzzword that has been around for quite some time. And I bet you it's been around since before he signed his contract. So, uh, no, not really. Well, it definitely has because, you know, Return of the Jedi was made in 1983 or 1982. Yeah. So it's been around for a long time. So you still think that Darabont should have, A, either known what he was getting into or, B, formed, negotiated a contract that was that was different in some way to protect himself? Uh, I don't know. It, it uh, Mike's email does make me uh, a little more pissed off at AMC for probably doing that kind of thing on purpose. Because if uh, Prowse uh, got screwed over because the the studio is you know giving back profits to themselves as distribution fees or whatever that was, uh, then AMC is doing the same thing. It's like this it's this is not a profit. This is a fee that we're paying back. This is a uh, you know a payment. Sure, it's to ourselves, but it's not an actual profit. Whereas uh, if it didn't make money, the uh, the debt would would have been forgiven without issue, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he probably got screwed over. But then again, it's Frank Darabont, and maybe he should have seen that coming. That's the thing. I mean, he's probably been on both sides of this before. You know, he's not just a director. He's a producer. He's a writer. He's worked in a lot of different areas when it comes to film production, at least, and maybe in TV before The Walking Dead. Um it, that's the thing. It's 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 tough to take a side here because as much as I agree that I guess Daremont should have known what he was doing, or his his agent or his lawyers should have known what they were doing, I still think it's such an underhanded practice for these studios and broadcasters to be doing this sort of thing to begin with. That it just makes you mad, whichever way you sort of look at it. I think. Yeah. At least it does for me. Maybe what needs to happen is, and I don't know, maybe this is just uh, the uh, lefty pinko in me saying, but maybe there <laughs> needs to be some sort of regulation about, you know, studios and becoming broadcasters, you know? They're they're kind of dipping their hand in their own pocket, right? Yeah. They Or they, whatever, whatever you want to say. So, I don't know. Maybe that's unrealistic in the world of big business, but it would, you know, it would solve this problem. The, the only thing I got out of that email was uh, really the decision that uh, Mike is now our industry correspondent. Because <laughs> obviously we don't know what's going on, and it sounds like Mike does. So, uh, you know, keep us keep us informed. Keep us in the loop as to what the hell all this crap means. <laughs> Mike from Cincinnati reporting live. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> on WKRP. Where, where else, really? Yeah. We're up here in, in Canada. Every time we hear the word Cincinnati, we think of WKRP. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Uh, it huh? is my favorite comedy of all time. See? It's a damn good show. Okay, we got another email here from JR on the internet. And this touches on something we talked about last time, but takes it to the next step. Okay. And JR writes, Thought I might put a theory I've had for a while out there to see whether or not you thought it would make sense. Way back in the first episode, Rick was shot fatally. Shane kept claiming that Rick died. 
What if Rick had died, but because everyone was infected with the virus, did come back? The catch would obviously be that Rick somehow has an immunity to the, f the effects of only the brain stem becoming alive. Perhaps this could also explain how Carl survived being fatally shot. Rick had said in one of the episodes that it was a miracle that Carl survived. My theory is that Rick and Carl are both carrying some sort of immunity to the brain death most of the walkers have. I know this is a far out theory, but it's always fun to speculate, love the show. So we talked last week about maybe baby Judith being immune to right. the walker virus. I think a listener brought that up, if I'm not mistaken. I yes. don't remember. Yeah, well, I didn't think of it. No, that's right. So this kind of expands it and says maybe the whole Grimes family on Rick's side is somehow immune to this. And it's it proposes an interesting theory here that a Grimes family member, Lori not included because she's not related by blood, but a Grimes family member on Rick's side can die and basically resurrect back to the state they were in before. Yes. Uh, well, Lori could very well have that as well, but she was completely eaten by that one zombie before we could find out. Right, but I'm thinking if, if Carl has it and maybe baby Judith has it, and there's very little evidence to, evidence to suggest that any of them are immune in any way, um, but let's just say they do, then it likely comes, um, and Rick has it, then it would have to come from the father, unless for some reason Lori had it as well. But. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking, is that they were, you know, magically drawn to each other, and, uh, you know, I just, I'm not completely discounting that she has this, uh, has this thing, and... Uh, I think this is a great theory, and uh, I'm, I'm applying this to the uh, the Teen Wolf theory that uh, werewolfism uh, travels in families and uh, shows up eventually. And you just you don't know that you're a werewolf, but then someday you find out you're a werewolf. Like you hit puberty, and suddenly you start growing fangs and fa her fair fur fair fur, fur hair. fair fairful fur fair fur all over your body. Yeah, <laughs> okay. that kind of thing. And so the Grimes family are actually an underground family of witches. No, liches. Yeah, they're, come on, man. They're liches. Okay, well, um, that's interesting. I think this theory that Rick, you know, was act actually died in the hospital at the beginning of The Walking Dead and, and woke up again. I mean, this could be obviously applied to the comic, too. Yes. When you think about it, when you think about some of the things that have happened to those characters in the comic that would, you'd think, kill any normal human being, um, maybe maybe they are indeed sort of immune to the effects of this or somehow resistant it's it's an interesting idea now here's a question would robert kirkman would he would he play this kind of long con and in include an immune character from the beginning but go 118 issues in the comic and so far four seasons of a tv show and not bring it up at all ever once not a chance I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the best way to find out if uh, Rick is actually immune uh, is to cut his head off and see what happens. Because if you cut the head off a zombie, it becomes a zombie and then kind of chomps around and tries to find, still tries to find food, right? Well, if you cut the head off a zombie, it remains being a zombie. Well, okay, yeah. And if you cut the head off a person, it becomes the head becomes a zombie. True. So let's cut Rick's head off and find out if he's still kicking around as a non-zombie. A non-zombie. Yeah, he just got his head in a bag. Maybe uh, hook up some bellows to his vocal cords so that you can uh, make him talk every now and again. Oh, wow. I see. So his head's going to come back as if he's still alive. Right. Exactly. He can't die. Wow, that's crazy town. <laughs> I think that's the best way to find out, really. Now you're in crazy town. 
Say hi to I'm, Rick for me I'm while the you're there. Mayor of Crazy Town. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the mayor of Toronto. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm more of an ombudsman. Right. <laughs> Anyhow, um, you know, those kind of wacky ideas aside, I think it's at least an interesting prospect or idea that we have some sort of immunity in these characters. Now, I'll be very, very surprised if that ever comes to light in the show, the comic, or any other Walking Dead property, but yeah, that's it, is fun. It's not it is fun to speculate. Yeah. So, all right. See how quite quick that is? Two emails, and we're done listener feedback. All right. The Walking Dead News. And our first item in the news is that episodes number one, two, and three of season one are now available in black and white. Oh, cool. So did you ever watch the pilot episode in black and white? No. It's been available for a few years now. AMC has broadcast it once in a while. Yep. I think it's on the DVD. And I have seen it, and it's great. I really quite enjoy watching the show in black and white. Cool. Uh, well, anyways, episode two and three are now available. Now, you have to go, you have to jump jump through some hoops to, to see these episodes. All right. You have to go to amctv.com. Okay. They are there for a limited time, and they require you to log into your TV provider's website before you can watch them. I'm not sure how that works exactly, yeah, because my happen. TV provider is not in the list of acceptable TV providers. Is so, your TV provider uh, Apple iTunes? Yeah, generally. <laughs> Mine too. But, but none of the Canadian... Uh, TV providers are there, such as Rogers, Bell, or TELUS. So, sadly, it seems like Canadians or anyone outside the U.S. or anyone even inside the U.S. who doesn't use one of their predetermined TV providers are unable to watch these. But the screenshots they had, I thought, looked really cool. Episode 2 of Season 1, if I am not mistaken, is the one where... Rick and Glenn cover themselves in the guts, and they walk through the streets oh, to yeah. avoid the zombies. Guts, it's called. That's right, guts. And that looked really awesome in black and white. There's just something about the the deep shadows and stuff of all the grime hanging off of them that's, uh, that's really, really impressive looking, I thought. So if I had the ability to watch these, I would very much like to do so. I am uh, doing a quick uh, internet search to see if I can find them, but I don't see them readily. Well, they're on it. Oh, available. Available somewhere other than AMC TV. Yes. All right. Well, who knows? But if you go to amctv.com and you are one of the lucky people who can sign up and watch them in black and white, let us know what you think. I, I'm curious to know if these sort of look as awesome and as atmospheric as the uh, pilot episode did. And you can't just turn your saturation down all the way because that just doesn't do it. They have to be actually mastered in black and white to get the proper depth of uh, of shade, yeah. So you can't just yeah. If you just turn the saturation down, sure it's in black and white, but it's not going to be as rich and entertaining as uh, watching something that's been specifically made black and white from the original source material. Yeah, exactly. Saturation all the way down just washes it out. Yeah, and makes it too light, and you don't get a distinction as much between blacks, black shadows, and white highlights. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. You do need it to be properly mastered to black and white and that's what amc is doing just very very slowly one episode at a time i'd like to see that on film because well, the show is shot on film right yeah so that's that's what i'm saying i'd like to see it on film because any of the uh screens that i have in my home don't have the like i don't have any uh, plasma screens so the depths uh you know the number of blacks that you have or the the depth of black is not as uh 
uh, it doesn't have as much depth of what the hell am I trying to say here? You know yeah, what I'm trying to say? It's not as deep, not as dark. That's They say plasma shows blacks better. Yeah, well, that kind of know. thing. So it's all going to be washed out on whatever I see, a, bl- a black and white uh, thing. But watching it on film would be truly fantastic. Well, somebody needs to project these in a movie theater somewhere. I would go to such, oh, finding a film movie theater might be a little tricky as well. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. There's got to be some out there still. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say, if you if you go to see them and, and, and you enjoy them or have some thoughts on them, let us know what you thought, because mm-hmm. I would be interested to hear if it's worth, you know, seeking them out or uh, at least hoping that AMC opens it up to the rest of the world. I would also like this. All right. Next item, AMC has released a poster for the second half of season four. Email, I mean, Jason, <laughs> I emailed it to you. <laughs> I'm all hopped up on drugs. What can you tell? What can I say? I can't talk anymore. You can call me email if you want. Call me, hey, e- call me Ishmael. Hey, email, I Jasoned it to you. <laughs> hey, that's a good way to put that too. <laughs> um, are you looking at the poster right now? I am not. I'm logging into my email. And oh. uh, when this all comes to fruition, I will look at it. Well, good thing you're you're prepared, but this is a poster there it is. for the second know. half of season four. It is Rick and Carl standing on some train tracks, and it looks like they're walking into a storm, maybe, or the maybe fog. they're walking towards a, a storm that's breaking because that's the sun breaking through the clouds. I don't know. They're walking into the mist. It does kind of look like the mist, doesn't it? Speaking yeah. of Frank Darabont. And they're walking the line. Is that what you do like on trade Johnny, tracks? Johnny Cash. That's what that's what that is. Walk the line. Oh, that's is that what, what that means? That's what that means. He's walking the train tracks. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yeah. they're walking the line. That's for sure. And it says, don't look back in big red scratchy letters. Yeah, but they're both kind of looking back. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it says don't look back and both of them sort of are. Well, that's so. one of those things where if you're crossing a very high bridge of some kind and they say don't look down, what do you, what's the first thing the character does? Well, they look down. They yeah. So that's exactly what's going on. Don't look back, but they're looking back. Because Carl's well, watching me. He's got his eye on me. I know. His eye is looking right back at the camera, it looks like, doesn't it? Yeah. Although it's, it's hard to tell. Um, so, you know, don't look back. Metaphorically, I guess they can't look back to where they were before, at the prison, all safe and comfy. They can only move forward now and try to find somewhere else that's safe and comfy. Yeah. And warm and cozy. Well, think cozy. So some people on our Facebook page noted that Rick's holster is back on his right leg from what it looks like, which means his hand is healed enough that he can pull his gun out from the right side again, Mm -hmm. I think. And you'll also notice, though, that on Rick's left hand, it looks like he's wearing a fingerless glove. I don't think that means anything, but maybe he's just got some... Hand protection there for yeah, something? he's going to lift some weights later. <laughs> he's going to the gym. I guess he needs to stay uh, stay in shape, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Carl, but Carl, his holster is on his left leg. So is Carl left-handed? No, I think that they got the image reversed. I think they said, this will look better if it's the other way around. So you think, yeah, they probably just flipped it. So Rick is really still using his, his uh, left, and, and, and Carl's got it on the right. Yeah. Well... It wouldn't be the first time they've done something like that. If you recall, Norman Reedus had his image flipped so his tattoos changed sides. Yep. Which I thought was sort of silly. Um, so I guess they could have done it here. They could have done it here. Is there anything about else about this image that jumps out at you or provides any hints on what's going to come in season 4B? Uh, nope. 
Not really, eh? No, there's mist, there's uh, train tracks, there's uh, the power lines running along the train tracks. There's, uh, I hope a train doesn't come. It's not like one of those uh, stand-by-me situations where they're crossing a bridge and the uh, the chubby kid almost doesn't make it. <laughs> well, he, uh, there is no chubby kid, but, you know, I, it, it could be. I, I can Always see the... a chubby kid. I have a feeling that this poster does not actually depict a scene from the show. And now that I say that, when I think about the other posters, none of them have really depicted a scene right out of the show. We have, no, except for the first one. They're except more, for the first one. Yeah, except for the first one. But they're they're more uh, giving an idea of what that section of the season is about. Right, the image, the, the poster for the first half of this season was standing in front of the fence that came down in the prison. Correct. Right, so that's what that season, the half of the season was about, was losing the protection that they had in the last season. Right, and I'm thinking back to the original poster was Rick riding his horse on the abandoned highway out of Atlanta. Right, and that actually happened in the show. Into basically, Atlanta. Into Atlanta. Um, that scene was right out of the TV show. Um, season two was him running up the driveway towards the farm. And although there was a lot of running and driveways and farms in season two, I don't think that was exactly a scene from any episode. Yeah. Season three was him standing on top of the overturned bus inside the prison gate pointing his gun. And again, it's not really a scene out of any particular episode, but they all have a tone and a feel and they kind of indicate the basic feel of of the season i think or the half season i also think that yeah and i think that's what we're getting here you know we're walking we got two main characters walking into the unknown um a storm may either be coming or receding it's hard to say and uh they sort of can't look back to where they were where they've come from because they have to keep moving forward to stay safe uh yep how's that for poster analysis right there there? you go poster analysis you did a good job I, I said Mist and Johnny Cash and Image Flip, but all yeah. the meaningful stuff you said. No, it, it all works. It all <laughs> comes together. Poster Analysis 101. We're going to be teaching that class next semester. If anyone wants to join, go to our website. There's lots of blues and grays and a little bit of browns. <laughs> a little greeny. It looks a little green on my screen. Maybe yeah, it's just my screen. It's a little green, but we got, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, wearing all earth tones and they're walking on the train tracks, which is all earth tones. Yeah. And then we have greens along the side, but as you get taller, it gets, or, uh, sorry, if you start scanning up, it gets uh, very uh, dark and kind of bluey and gray. And then they have the big red bold letters. And then it goes up to a very dark gray, blue, yeah. greeny uh, sky. And, you know, funny that they put Carl in the foreground and made him look absolutely enormous. Like, he looks twice the size of his dad. Well, yeah. That's I mean, because I he's going to be the prominent character because his dad's going to go to, you know, he's moving into crazy town uh, and he's going to be talking to Rob Ford for <laughs> weeks on end with uh, on the phone. <laughs> I think that that would be awesome. And then uh, Carl's going to be in charge there. He's uh, He's the big man now. You know, now that I've said that out loud, I have a feeling that the entire second half of season four is going to be about Carl. You think so? I think I think we all are pretty confident that the first episode back is going to be really about him. Kirkman has said as much in interviews that he sort of carries this episode. Kirkman wrote this episode. It is pretty much verbatim right out of the comic. So we have a pretty good idea of what we will see in episode nine. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling 
now that I think about it, that maybe the sort of Carl-centric character development is going to extend farther into season four. And everything that happens will be about the way it affects him and the way it changes him as a character. And that's why he's so prominent in this poster. They're trying to let us know that get ready for some Carl time, everybody, because it's coming. All right. I should have said that then. Yeah. It do, instead of don't look back, it's get ready for some Carl time. Because it's coming. <laughs> there you go. All righty. Well, if you got any thoughts on the poster, let us know what you think. Uh, you've got about a month. Yeah, just over a month until The Walking Dead comes back and we'll find out what all this really means. Exciting times. All right. We are going to take a quick break now to thank our sponsor. But when we come back, Melissa Hutchison will be joining us for our interview about The Walking Dead video game Season 2. Stay tuned for that. Oh, there's a river that winds on to river I'm gonna see where it leads Oh, there's a mountain that no man has mounted I'm gonna stand on the peak Out there's a land that time don't command Wanna be the first you arrive No time for pondering why I'm wandering on while we both sit back To the ends of the earth Would you follow me? There's a world that was meant for us to see To the ends of the earth Would you follow me? For you, the listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. Now, just because I'm sick and my voice is so bad this week, we're going to mix things up a little bit, and I'm going to do the recommendation. Well, yeah, because we want to, you know, prolong your torture as long as possible. Absolutely. So this recommendation comes from a friend of mine who I saw the other day, and we were talking about books and movies, and she suggested Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. Gone Girl. Now, they're making a movie about this, and it stars Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, and Neil Patrick Harris. As far as I know, it comes out in the summer of 2014, or maybe maybe not summer, but sometimes this, sometime this year. So if you want to read the book before you see the movie, because Ben Affleck is one of your favorite actors, yes, by man. all means, go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead to check out Gone Girl. That depends. Is he directing it? I do not know. No, I don't think so. All right, then he's going to be crap. Well, I, we have no idea. The, the movie may very well be crap, but all the more reason to read the book. Well, yeah, absolutely. I'm interested in the book. I'm reading the description right now, and I think it looks, uh, looks pretty good. Well, from Audible, part of the description reads, On a warm summer morning in North Carthage, Missouri, it is Nick and Amy Dunn's fifth wedding anniversary. Presents are being wrapped and reservations are being made when Nick's clever and beautiful wife disappears from their rented McMansion on the Mississippi River. Gone Girl's toxic mix of sharp-edged wit and deliciously chilling prose creates a nerve-fraying thriller that confounds you at every turn. Oh, my. And if uh, the friend of mine who recommended this has anything to say, she agrees with that and says we have to read it. So I'm going to read it, and I recommend everyone else out there give it a try as well. You had me at McMansion. 
Perfect. <laughs> it comes in at 19 hours and 11 minutes. And if you want to get a free copy of Gone Girl, go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for a free audio book. Maybe I'm heading to die, but I'm still gonna try. I guess I'm going on. Joining us now is Melissa Hutchison, the voice of Clementine in Telltale's The Walking Dead video game. Melissa, thanks for taking the time to come on our show and chat with us today. I am very happy to be here, and um, I love chatting about myself, and especially Clementine, so I'm thrilled. <laughs> cool. So we met you down at Walker Stalker Con in Atlanta back in um, October, or I guess the beginning of November. And I just thought I'd find out from you and ask you if, if you end up going to a lot of conventions and what you thought of Walker Stalker Con to begin with, because we had a great time down there and it seemed like everyone was having fun. Yeah, I, th I had a blast. Are you kidding? I was, uh, that was the very first maiden voyage for them. So I was thrilled to be a part of it. Um, and uh, I am going to be going to Atlanta, or not Atlanta, I'm sorry, Chicago as well in March. Um, but yeah, it was, it was super fun just meeting all the fans, uh, of the game, of the show, of the comics, of, I mean, just zombie people everywhere. Um, and I do, because of the Walking Dead game, um, I really have entered into the world of conventions because before that I, I really had only done a couple. So this game has definitely sent me to, uh some conventions which is which is great because it gives me a chance to actually chat with people who play the game so for sure it's an easy way to get really right direct contact with some of the fans and stuff like that uh so you said you're going to chicago in in march i guess i am i'm going to chicago i'm uh excited that'll, um that'll be great we're planning to be there if we can anyways it's a little closer for it. Yeah, than... we can actually, uh, we're planning on, uh, we're hoping to go, and if we do go, then uh, we're hoping to drive, which would be a lot easier than uh, having to, uh, to fly oh. to Atlanta. Yeah. So um, nice. that'll be fun. It'll be fun to see you there. And congratulations on the release of The Walking Dead Season 2. Um, are you a gamer? Do you play the games, or or you just voice them? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I have played the Walking Dead games. Um, I am primarily just the, the voice. I do not play games, which is horrible, but, um, you know, I'll do a lot of like YouTube playthroughs and that kind of stuff, but, uh, I just get so stressed out. I don't know what my deal is. <laughs> well, you know, there but I did actually get. Sorry, I was going to say, you know, they're kind of a unique video game experience, these Walking Dead games, because they're really, really interactive stories more than, you know, a video game where you're running around shooting things or whatever. And there's a lot more storytelling to it. So I thought maybe even for non-gamers or people who don't do a lot of video gaming, it's the kind of thing that uh, that might appeal to them. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I... 
I literally, when I said I play the Walking Dead games, I should probably rephrase that. Actually, this the the first episode of season two, my good friend played it and I watched while I drank wine and like ate popcorn and told her what to do. So it is, it's super, I mean, I know a lot of people who, I met a lot of people at Walker Stalker uh, Con actually in Atlanta that uh, somehow ended up coming to my panel, even though they didn't know who I was, but they're like, you know, I don't actually play games. And just after hearing you talk about this game and talking, talking with other people who've played it, they're, they were totally all about like going home and downloading it and and playing it because it's it's um super entertaining and 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 it's easy. <laughs> it's not so complex. <laughs> you don't have to like push X and Y and B and then spin the control just to jump. You know, you just make decisions and you know, I don't know. For sure. It's uh, I think there's a very low barrier to entry to this kind of game um because it's a pretty simple gameplay mechanic, and and like I said, it's more about telling this really good story than it is about just running through killing zombies or or whatever you want to do. So um, that's right. funny to hear you say you sit and watch people play it. <laughs> that sounds like actually a wonderful way to experience that game is to just to to, to sit and watch because it is very much a an interactive story. I don't know what would be more fun, just sitting there, uh, you know, hanging out with friends and watching them play a video game and, you know, periodically telling them what to do or sitting in a room and playing the video game with you there and probably giving uh, some kind of commentary track in the background. I think that'd be fantastic. (laughs) Well, it's funny because my friend, when she was playing it, you know, I had to like keep myself from like telling her what decisions to make because i know the outcome of of course every single thing that's going to happen so (laughs) i kept it i bring no spoiler alerts for her i definitely (laughs) kept it but there were there were a few times where i was definitely like um a couple of scenes in it where i i wanted to hear the outcome of of the recording session and like i don't know if i can talk too much about the episode i I think we're going to be played it I think we're actually going to be pretty spoiler because I know they, some of the questions I have are very specific to this episode. I think it's okay. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, you think it's just, okay to spoil it? We've both played it through, so we're good. And I guess if we just warn oh, everyone okay. that we'll probably spoil it to a certain degree here. So if you haven't played it yet, maybe go do that and then come back. But uh, you're good. You're good to uh, <laughs> talk about whatever you want. I can keep I can keep going. All right. So the scene in the shed where she... You know, the big zombie comes in, you know, right after she stitches her arm up. uh, One of the choices is, you know, still not bitten is the line. And I was like, man, when I was recording that, I was like, this is like the one of the first moments where you're like, yeah, that's right. Clementine is a badass. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a few moments like that. And with the dog, you know, that was horrible. That was horrible. Um, Yeah, suck. I hate it. After recording that, I literally like was like staring at the you know directors and writers and producers and I'm like you people are sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's What's one of What's wrong the, with you guys? That's one of the things we've sort of commented on about the Walking Dead in general before that like nothing good ever happens to any of these characters. It's just constant <laughs> suffering and there's no break from it. I was wondering if you kind of feel that when you read through the script or when you're reading your lines and it sounds like you do yeah um oh yeah definitely i mean literally going into this uh season two you know i'm kind of i'm like 
you guys aren't going to kill me, right? <laughs> like, am I going to die? I mean, yeah, it's just no one's – it's, yeah, it's the world of The Walking Dead. You know, you fall, you can fall in love with a character all you want, but there's no guarantee that that uh, what their outcome is going to be. Um, but that's what makes it obviously just, I don't know, just an amazing drama. Uh, it's not – no Hollywood ending there. It's just uh, – it's – it sucks <laughs> in the best way possible. Very, very dark. Yes, very dark. Um, but um, I think, you know, as the season unfolds, you know, I actually really, I mean, honestly, even if I could tell you right now what's going to happen with the rest of the season, I, I couldn't because uh, I don't know. But, um, yeah, there's definitely some, some uh, – very dark stuff that Clementine's dealing with, but it's cool because she's, you know, she's gone through a lot already and and learned so much from the first season and with Lee and you know, I really am I'm very happy and excited and proud of where her character is at right now. So you said that uh, you couldn't tell us where it goes, obviously, but how far into recording of the season are you? How many episodes have you done, or are you all the way through already? Um, we have recorded, uh, we are just wrapping up recording episode two. So it actually, for me, it's kind of exciting because we don't do them all at one time, which a lot of games you do. Um, I record, I get to at least see kind of what's happening with the release of the first or second episode. And then we start recording for the next one. So it, uh, it it really is cool because I get to go through the process kind of with everybody who's playing the game. So we're just wrapping up uh, episode two now. That's cool. I, I, for some reason, would have thought you'd sort of, it would all be written and they'd all have sort of the storyline sort of mapped out already and you'd be in recording a lot more ahead of time. But uh, yeah, it sounds like you get to experience it a little bit slower, similar to how we play the game almost. That's pretty cool. Um. Yeah. So another sort of recording and kind of script question I have is when you're when you're reading because this game has multiple paths you can take and a lot of decisions that the you make as a player when you're reading the script do you get sort of an overall concept of the story or is it more broken down into the individual scenes and the individual lines and you sort of separate it from the the greater storyline when you're in the studio. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a little crazy. It's a little schizophrenic, honestly, the recording process. Um, because you know, ideally or theoretically, you could you know go with you know choice one. This is where she's you know gonna be a little more innocent and nicer and tra la la and go through the whole script that way and then do the B decisions and the C decisions. But we 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 do them. We record them like. Bam, bam, bam. You know, I, I record the A choice. And then, you know, three minutes later, I'm, I have to like snap into like more of a bitchy mode or, you know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of, it, I mean, I obviously, I, I know the outcome, the synopsis of what's going to happen, mm -hmm. um, with all the, the choices, but it, it happens. You really have to like, I mean, you feel maniacal. You're, it's, <laughs> Like, ha, 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 I hate you, <laughs> you know. So it wasn't that extreme ever, but. <laughs> so each choice it's, has. It's crazy. Each choice has kind of a, a feeling or a tone that goes with it that you've got to portray in your line. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, there you can play her definitely a little more sometimes innocent uh, and kind of like, you know, I'm just a little kid, you know, like, why would you, you know, hurt me or doubt me? And and then there's more of the kind of just flat, like, you know, I don't know, despondent. And then there's just the straight up like, you know, don't mess with me. Um I mean, and, and it's still Clementine, so she's not, <laughs> she's never like cruel or, you know, totally bitchy, but she's, uh, you know, she's definitely has kind of like how Lee did in the first season, just different ways of approaching uh, the situation. Sure. Um, so speaking about Clementine, you know, she's a little bit older in this game. Uh, she's experienced an awful lot now as, as a character. What did you have to do to change up her her style or her voice or her character in in the way you deliver things for this game? Um, well, uh, I mean, the, the obvious first is the voice. When when she was in season one, she sounded like this, and now she sounds more like this. So it's just it went from like little, just that edge of like I'm the little kid to really refining. That middle ground, obviously we couldn't go too drastic or it just would have sounded horrible. So I was, I have to admit, I was a little stressed out about <laughs> initially the age change just because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to make it so weird or I don't know. It it happened in, in kind of an organic way and, and I sent them like seven different takes of the older voice and we landed on, we all agreed on the one that felt the best. And I mean, it, it's, and then once I had it, it was just, it locked in and it was just right and natural and all was good in the world. Um, as for personality, you know, I just had to kind of do some, you know, just trying to imagine what she's been going through in the last, uh, I think 400 days to be precise. And, um, you know, it's dark. It's a dark, dark world. And I just kind of, you know, I don't know. She didn't really lose her innocence, but she's definitely seen a lot. So I just incorporated that in with the newer voice. <laughs> and thank God it worked out. Well, I think it worked really, really well. Do you find it easy to make those kind of small alterations to the sound of a character? Or, or do you have to rehearse it a lot? Do you really put time into it or does it just come to you? You know, with because of my attachment to Clementine at this point and how familiar I am with her character, uh, it it wasn't that difficult. It actually just, it, I mean, I can literally just like snap into her voice at any point in time. And um, with the newer voice, like I said, once once I found that resonating tone of like, ah, there's the magical note. Uh, you know, they don't they don't even have to play me like um. Sometimes when you do a job, they have to play your character back to you so you can remember and, oh, yeah, okay, let's, I got it, let's record. And I could literally, I just never have that problem with Clementine. Um, was that the question? <laughs> Sorry, I ramble. No, that's, that's fine. I, it, it totally answers that. I was just wondering if, if you find it easy to sort of make those changes. And it sounds like you, you you are very close to Clementine. You you know you become her more or less, and and you're able to sort of grow with her a little bit as she progresses through this horrible, horrible, terrible world. Yes, 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I've never had, uh, it's, it's very close to being like on an animated series or, you know, just any kind of episodic adventure. It's the first episode, you're, you know, you're kind of feeling your way and, and then you just, the character, you just get more and more comfortable. And I don't know if you ever watch like TV pilots or whatever, you kind of notice like the, the first episodes, if you go back or go forward a few years, the characters are so much more comfortable in their own skin. It's the same uh, with this particular game. So, and yeah, I'm, I basically, Clementine and I are one. It's a little psycho. <laughs> now, I assume you don't actually record with the other, uh, the other voice actors, that they just have you in at any, any given time? Yeah, we um, unfortunately, due to oh all kinds of things uh, that stand in the way of it, we we don't get to record together. Um, so, uh, with this new season, though, they have if they've recorded actors before me, I at least get to hear the playback of their lines before I go into my line, which is helpful because you know it's it's kind of crazy the the magic of making games. Because if you think about it, I mean, they have to match the tone and, you know, is it a quiet tone? Are we yelling? Are we walking through the woods? So the fact that we do all this in separate recording um, sessions is pretty crazy. Um, and everybody who works on it, I call them like magical engineering and directing wizards. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't get to work with uh, the other actors, but um, but. I I end up like last season they were all pretty much mostly local so they were all my friends and we knew each other and I met Dave in episode three which was awesome um, and in this season I there's I know a few of the actors but I still haven't met <laughs> quite a few of the uh, the other people so I'm hoping to do that. Do they uh, do they contract studios uh, near you so you don't have to travel far? Or do they have to ship you out someplace uh, where they're doing all of the all the recording sessions? Well, uh, Telltale Games is actually uh, local. They're in Marin County. Um, I'm I live in the East Bay. I live in Berkeley. Um, so I just have to, and we record at Studio Jory, which is also in Marin, just uh, right on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, so I drive there. I'm it's it's all local. <laughs> This, Great. you know, yeah, I know it's, it's a very cool, another reason why I'm pretty psyched for Telltale and this game. Cause it's, you know, coming out of the Bay area. So that's pretty special for me, but yeah, I just, I just drive my car to the studio. Great. Do you, do you uh, do they ever show you gameplay footage while you're recording? I think, I don't know if they do that ever actually, if it comes to animated films or, or anything like that. But do you ever have a video that you're watching while recording or is it, do they not do that? Is it not ready yet? Maybe. Um, it is, uh, you know, that's funny. I don't, I think it's not quite ready because they probably have to, you know, do a lot of the mouth matching, but no, I don't ever, uh, see any of the gameplay until it's all done and said, um, or said and done rather. Uh, some games actually do just to answer your question. I have, uh, about other games. I have done games before where there's the scene, the animated scene is already filmed and then they'll show it to us and we have to like do kind of an ADR thing and fit the line with the mouth movements and all that. But it's pretty, it's pretty rare. Um, 
So no, I don't. I I literally when this game is released, like the day it's released, I'm like everybody else in the world. I'm like, all right, can't wait to see it. <laughs> it's loaded up. So playing Clementine, um, like I guess over your career, you've done a variety of characters, both adults and kids, and so on. Do you enjoy doing one over the other, adult characters or child characters? Hmm. Well. You know, it depends. Uh, vocally, sometimes doing like little boy voices can be a little straining, but it's still so much fun. And it it just uh, it depends um, on the character because sometimes little kids can be, I don't know, <laughs> um, how do I put this? I don't want to say annoying or frustrating. Those aren't the words I'm looking for. But like Clementine, for example, she's her character is so sincere. It's so real. Like, it's so real uh, that that was a pleasure to do. Mm -hmm. But because I do kids voices so often when I do book a job, that's I get to be like an evil, like adult female with a voice like this. I'm super excited because it's actually something in my range. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> Um, I get to play like something evil. Gosh, it sounds like the most fun job in the world, just listening to you change your voice a little bit around to, to portray different things. Um, are there, I was going to ask, are there different challenges for you doing children over adult voices? Is, do you find one more difficult or anything like that? Well, yeah, I mean, um, the, the thing nowadays and, and, uh, is, being being an adult doing a kid voice uh you have to really like a lot of times when when adults are doing kid voices you can oh yeah that's you can totally tell that's an adult doing a kid voice and a lot of games and animation and all a lot of things nowadays they really don't want to know that it's an adult doing a kid voice so that's tricky and that, i'm so grateful that that worked out with um clementine because i met so many people that were just like i had no idea that you were an adult. So that's like high honors on that one. I'm that just, that's like the best compliment. Um, but like doing the boy voices where you're doing like a little guy and you have to like get into your diaphragm and in inside of your chest and like constrict all your neck muscles. So after two hours, you're like, Oh my God, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I don't know who that little guy was. We'll call him Billy. Billy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like physically. Well, speaking of time, like how long does a normal, does a typical uh, recording session last? Is it uh, is it about two hours, or can it be like a grueling ten hour session? <laughs> um, no, they're not usually grueling ten hour sessions. Um, with Clementine, they're usually we usually do about four or five hour uh, sessions. And for each episode at this point, there's normally about four or five main recording sessions. And then, of course, we'll have pickup sessions, which are usually only a couple hours. But they never have you for an all-nighter. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and knowing all of us in, in, the, in the actual at the studio and everybody I work with, we'd probably, by 5 p.m., we'd be opening beers, just being like, ugh, whatever. <laughs> Let's we do this tomorrow. We can keep going, but it, it won't be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
Clementine will be drunk. We'll have to write that in. <laughs> well, you know, in in with limited supply of food and liquid and stuff, you never know what she might have to drink. <laughs> yeah, you you know what? You can't you, beggars can't be choosers or right. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the toughest scenes I think in uh, episode one of season two was where Clementine is stitching up her arm because mm. it was kind of just gross to to watch on screen and, you know, to imagine what the poor girl is going through. Uh, what's it like recording a scene like that where it's it's so brutal and it's mostly just her grunting and groaning and, and making these noises, in these painful noises? Right. Is it hard for you to do something like that? You know what? It's actually one of the funnest things that... I do, or a voice actor, I'm sure. I'm sure other people would agree with me. It's actually like, I mean, that that scene was a lot of fun to record. And uh, the uh, director, Julian Kwasnowski, uh, was in the other room. And, you know, he's just like laying it on, like, just pretend like, you know, you've you got this needle and you're going to have to jab it through that first layer of skin. And, I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. But it's like so much fun to like, Ugh! you know it's it's like one of those like weird acting i don't know i mean it it that that scene i I get that a lot because that scene was really intense when i watched it i was like oh my god and then a i was like oh my god that's disgusting and b i was like oh my god she did such a shitty job stitching that up just they were like an inch apart the stitches oh man (laughs) well it'll hold her arm together that's the most important thing Keep her alive. Yes, exactly. Uh, so we have some questions from our listeners on Facebook. But before we do those, Jason, anything else you want to get into? Uh, nothing specific. I'm, I'm curious about the Facebook listener questions. All right. So this one comes from, yeah. let's see, comes from Michelle on our Facebook page. Is it difficult to play a character that has lost so much at such a young age? Yeah, it is. Um difficult in in kind of a an awesome way it's just the whole experience of season one was so emotional and then the end of course uh giant spoiler if you haven't played it but with lee dying um that was so sad and in the recording studio the emotion was very real real crying real ugh, it was just so hard um so in season two, definitely one of the best ways that I, I found her character 400 days later or whatever was in, in those – there's lots of little moments where you you can visualize that Clementine is, is thinking about Lee or thinking about the innocence of life before zombies. And I definitely use that a lot. I use – in Clementine's character, her thinking about Lee and, and her friends and Duck and Katya and all these people that she had to say goodbye to. And in and in that sick way, that's what helps it to become, you know, a very true experience uh, for the character. So, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Part of me is, is, in a weird sort of way, glad that uh, Lee didn't survive not because i wanted to see him die or anything but it opened up 
the opportunity or it opened the door for Clementine to become the main character in season two and the the focus really of of season two because there's not too many games out there I don't think where we have a a little child protagonist like this and it makes it even that much more interesting and fun to play I think yeah I I definitely recognize that as well and um I'm again just with how this the season two is opened with great response is just I'm so thrilled to be a part of this because I mean this game really it broke all kinds of records it's like it's just kind of one of these games that will be noted in the history of gaming and to be a part of that and now to be in the forefront of it is like pretty much mind-blowing I kind of have to pinch myself often because I was like really wow (laughs) this is happening this is so insanely cool so yeah the fact that little clementine is is uh the playable character is is huge you know speaking of the success of the game you yourself won a bunch of awards for your portrayal of her as well if i'm not mistaken right yeah i did i i i know which is another like really (laughs) wow mind blown um i won the spike tv vga for uh best female performance best human female performance in a game <laughs> and uh was nominated for a bafta in which is crazy that's like you know basically the academy awards in the uk so uh that was really exciting. Uh New York Gamers Critic Circle gave me best performance. I yeah, all these things like just I'm so humbled daily and just grateful for the whole experience. Well, you certainly you certainly deserve it from what I can tell and I think from what I've seen of season 2 so far, we might be in for another good year for you and Telltale. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Katie on our Facebook uh page asks um, do you have any special ways to prepare before recording? For example, do you somehow get yourself worked up or scared before a tense scene? What do you do? Um, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a, I'm a, I'm a procrastinating, uh, voice of actress. No, I, um, I think kind of similar to, uh, the first question that was asked, I think, um, especially with season two, I have so much to work with already mentally that all I have to do is kind of click into like just feeling her loss and feeling her frustration and her struggles. And it just kind of, we, I mean, we are one, me and Clementine. I, mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot for me to uh, get into that mode. Like I, if I need to feel the emotion, uh, it's, it's there. I just kind of, I guess I also work with, like m- most actors, with other really horrible, awful experiences, whatever you can think of, sad things that have happened to you in your own life. If you ever need to pull from those, you can do that as well. But going into the sessions, no, you would never know. You, I mean, we're joking around, we're laughing, ha, 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 and it's like, okay, you just killed a dog, and I'm like crying. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, and then when we cut, you know, it's like, let's go get a bagel, you know, I mean, it's just like, it's very, it's a very odd experience, but but I retain all those emotions so I can use them. So they're not fake. They're there. They're real. So it is It is hard. But I don't do any like extra prep before going into record. For sure. And then a bunch of people asked um, if you'd ever like to see Clementine appear 
in the Walking Dead comic or the TV show if they ever decided to cross her over somehow into one of those properties. Yes, I would love it. And I have often, uh, in my own fantasies, have visualized her somehow appearing uh, in the comics and on the show. I don't know how that would work out with both. But um, I think that would be super awesome. And my thing is, like, if they do that, I, I want to at least, like, have, like, be able to, like, play a zombie on that episode or, I don't know, some random person or, hell, make me a character. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm protective. That's Clementine. That's my character. For sure. So I would I need to be nearby to, like, make sure it was playing out well. But, yeah, or in the comics, I would I would be honored. I, I had the great opportunity to meet Robert Kirkman. I mean, that was just like, talk about nerding out on somebody. I was just like, be besides myself with joy. And he's just super awesome. I should have asked him. I don't know why I didn't. (laughs) Well, I think you can make it happen. Give him a call. Tell him you want to be on the show. Make that happen. I think we'd all like to see that. I'll do that as soon as we uh, end this conversation. (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) So... What's next for you? Do you have anything coming up that you want to let people know about or uh, something you're working on now? Um, Yeah, well, I actually, beyond season two of The Walking Dead, I um, am working or have worked on, it's going to be released this spring, I don't know when yet, but uh, an animated series called The Space Racers, um, which I believe will be airing on like PBS, public public, uh, television. I don't know, look it up on the internet. It'll be everywhere. Um, so that's pretty cool because that, that was um, happening all last year. I was recording for that. So another very exciting project for me. You, um, you cut out there just for a second. You were saying PBS TV in the States? Oh, yes. Uh, it should be on PBS in the States, uh, other public television. It might even be on regular old cable channels. Um, I'm not sure. They're still working out all that out. But cool. yes, everybody should check it out. Cool. Uh, I know you're not even done season two yet, but will there be a season three of The Walking Dead video game? I believe if, if you know, Telltale's on a roll, man. They are, <laughs> you know, cranking out awesomeness. Uh, so I, if this season keeps on going as well as it is and how amazing they're doing, I can't imagine they wouldn't do a season three. Um. And I hope I'm part of it. <laughs> well, so do we, I think. I am enjoying the, the little bit of season two we've got so far, and I expect the rest of it to be just awesome. So uh, I hope it goes and keeps going for a long time. And, yeah, I don't want to see Clementine be killed off or anything like that. You can have a, a little girl protagonist of a video game, but you can't kill one, I don't think. That would just be too much. <laughs> Yeah, people might be out, like, you know, in front of Telltale with pitchforks and, you know, <laughs> torches at that point, and I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I can't, it is The Walking Dead, so we have no idea what will happen, and I can't guarantee she would be in season three, but hopefully if she isn't around, it's for some other reason beyond, uh, you know, death. People are very protective of, of her character, so it would it would definitely be pretty tragic. For sure. Well, Jason, do you have uh, any other questions you want to throw out there? No question. I just want to, you know, say thanks for uh, for coming on the podcast. It was uh, it's great to talk to you again. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm you know it's 
coming off the holidays and New Year and stuff, I I haven't been able to <laughs> ramble on to anybody about it for a while. So it feels good. <laughs> it feels like a really good start to a new year. And I'm glad to start my new year with you guys. So well, it was great meeting so you. So thank great, you. Great talking to you. And do you want to let people know sort of where they can find you on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that? You mean the, the social the social networkings of the networks? Yeah, if if you want to, yeah. It's Mel- Melissa Hutchison VO on Facebook. Um, and that is my fan page on Facebook. And I, I love chatting with people on it. And I am Melly Hutch, M-E-L-Y-H-U-T-C-H, on Twitter. And forgive me if I tweet at a slow rate. I am, I don't know, I have like some kind of weird Twitter procrastination thing. Um, and yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Or MelissaHutchison.com is my website. If you, I don't know, want to listen to other stuff I've done, you can check me out there. Cool. So find Melissa on Facebook at facebook.com slash Melissa Hutchison VO or on Twitter at Melly Hutch, M-E-L-Y-H-U-T-C-H. And uh, of course, if you haven't already, go and pick up The Walking Dead, the video game, season two. It's available for Xbox, PlayStation, Mac, PC, every platform you can imagine, I think. So uh, you have your pick. And uh, once again, Melissa, thanks so much for coming on. We should have you on again sometime after we've got a few more episodes maybe to play and uh, see where Clementine goes and what's in store for her. Definitely. That sounds like a plan. I would be more than happy to do that. And hopefully I'll see you guys um, in Chicago at Walker oh, Stalker sure. Con. Yeah, that'd be great. That is the plan. We should uh, we should be getting ourselves down there, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll drop by and say hi. Thanks again. It was great talking to you. Yes, thank you. All right. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye. All right, that's going to wrap up our podcast for this week. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Before we go, I'll let you know how you can contact us. The best way to do is call the Zomb line. It's one eight six six four eight three Z O M B. That's nine six six two. We are on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Talking Dead. You can also send email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. One last thing before we go, we have shirts available and a couple of other products. Go to our website and click on the link for t-shirts at the top. If you want to walk around sporting our logo on your chest, it would be really, really awesome for us. Who, who wouldn't? And for you, really. Um... Also, an easy way to support the show is to use our Amazon link. Go to amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com before you do all your shopping online at Amazon. I figure lots of people out there have Christmas gift cards they received and they're going to want to go buy some stuff. Before you do that, visit amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com and it doesn't cost you anything extra, but we get a little bit of support from your purchases there. So we appreciate all the support everyone gives us in all the different ways, and uh, we thank you very much. Yeah. Our next podcast will be, I think, on January the 27th, Jason, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. That is three weeks from now and two weeks from the premiere of the second half of season four. So I think that makes sense. And what we'll be doing on that podcast is reviewing The Fall of the Governor Part 1, Part 1 of the third book in the Governor Trilogy. So if you have any thoughts on it, if you've read it or you plan to read it in the next uh, couple of weeks, three weeks, 
send us what you think. We'd love to hear from you and include that in our review to see if we're way off or, you know, we are all on the same page about it because you never know. That should be fun. I think I think it will be fun. It's it's time. Have you read it yet? No, not yet. Yeah, me neither. So uh, three weeks. Let's go. Three weeks. Exactly. That's the amount of time you have. You better start now or in your case in two and a half weeks. Yeah, somewhere around there. I've already gotten, I've already purchased it on Audible, so I'm, uh, it's all queued up and ready to go. I just have to pull the trigger. AudibleTrial.com slash Talking Dead to get Fall of the Governor Part 1 for free if you are not already an Audible subscriber. Thanks, everyone, for listening this week. As I said, we'll be back in three weeks. Uh, until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.